0: Lucas on Life. Hello and welcome to Lucas on Life. I'm Jeff Lucas and I've decided that tonight we need to talk about deciding. We all make many decisions every day and most of them are trivial. What to have for lunch, what TV show to watch, what we will wear, the insignificant details. But there are some decisions that are hinges to our future. To switch the metaphor, they are junctions and they need to be handled with care. Sometimes just being decisive is tough. We're afraid or not confident in our own abilities. We hit decision fatigue. We don't want to take responsibility for the outcome of our choices, or we think there's a better option out there, and we're hitting analysis paralysis, and we procrastinate. Perhaps that's where you find yourself right now, It's been said that life is inherently risky. There's only one big risk we should avoid at all costs, and that's the risk of doing nothing. So let's reflect on choices and decisions. Here on Lucas on Life, here's Mariah Peters singing about the very best choice that we can make. With all that's been unfolding in Ukraine in recent weeks and the terrible ravages of war that have been inflicted on innocent people, I've been thinking about an experience that emerged from the Second World War. It was January 1945, the coldest winter in a 100 years, for prisoners held in concentration camps like Auschwitz and British POWs in nearby Stalags, hope jostled with terror. The distant booming of artillery announced that the liberating army was ever closer, but then the lingering question on everyone's mind was this. What would the Nazis do with the tens of thousands of prisoners, witnesses all to their appalling crimes? The solution was fiendishly simple. The evacuated prisoners would be forced to march. Some called it the Death March. Many would perish of starvation, disease or exhaustion. Trench foot and typhus were rife. Some didn't change their clothes for three months, their skin teeming with lice. Food was scarce. Dehydrated, they sucked on snow. Like walking dead men, some soiled themselves as they shuffled along. I learned the story of one of them, Prisoner 5239. Captured at just 19, he should have been anxious about acne and girlfriends, but five long years behind barbed wire forced him to grow up fast. He was one of the thousands on the death march. Suddenly, without warning, an opportunity to escape presented itself. As they rounded a bend, he glanced back and realized that the rear guard was out of sight. Hurriedly looking ahead, it was the same. For ten paces or so, they would not be seen by any guard. He had a choice, a crossroad between life and death, and he decided, turning to a friend, he hissed, Quick, run, now. And so run they did, dashing into the woods, hearts beating fast, Waiting for the alarm to go up and shots to be fired, they lay on the frozen ground until at last the column passed. With no idea where they were, they finally found an isolated house. The owner, a woman whose husband was away at the war, feared rape or worse. The two friends told her that they meant no harm. Reassured, she cooked them a meal and they slept in the barn. The details fade after that, but somehow they finally made it home. He met his sweetheart. They married and he tried to settle back into normal life quizzed about those years he said very little perhaps he had decided not to give his captors any more of his own headspace hearing his story i wanted to make a response to honor his decisiveness and so i have decided that i will be decisive on that fateful day in arctic poland there was no time for dithering everything hung in the balance and so i want to be someone who chooses well as i said earlier every day is filled with choices and some of them are hinges decisions don't call ahead or come with a health warning while many of them are inconsequential some are monumental thinly disguised doorways to joy or to tears the bible is crammed with life changing decisions mary agrees peter signs up to follow and taxman zacchaeus climbs down from a tree they all chose. And so I will be decisive. That doesn't mean impulsive or reckless. I will be prayerful, take stock, weigh the options, and consult trusted counsel. But that young man's story has nudged me to abandon meandering. I will not squander my freedom with indecision. Many years later, that escapee made another epic choice. After decades of ignoring God, angry at the horrors he had seen and felt, he chose to follow Christ, the greatest liberator. Shortly afterwards, a stroke silenced his speech, and he became a prisoner once more, trapped inside his own head, unable to speak an intelligible word, no means of escape. At 75 years old, he breathed his last, finally free at last. Hearing that story, this much needs to be said. Thank you, Prisoner 5239, for the inspiration, the legacy, and the call to be decisive, to be brave, and to take risks when the moment comes. Thank you for surviving so that your children could exist. And thanks, most of all, for being my dad. The story that I've just shared first appeared in Premier Christianity magazine. A couple of days after publication, I received an email from a reader who had read the article, and then the next day he found a book about a prisoner of war in a charity shop. The reader very kindly sent the book to me. What he did not know was that the book was the story of a man who was held in the very same prisoner of war camp as my dad. I didn't even mention the name of the camp in the article. It was Stalag 8B in Lambsdorff. I have a greater understanding of what my dad endured for four or five long years. He passed away years ago, but I'm grateful to him and to all who paid such a price in the war. Again, I want to follow his example, and when crisis moments come, I want to choose well. Choosing. Deciding. It was about 30 years ago when I made what I thought was the final decision. I am not an athlete, I concluded, and so physical exercise would not be part of my life. Yeah, I would eat sensibly, drink moderately, but my ever-increasing shadow would not darken the doors of a gym. Those who worked out, I decided, were not mere mortals like me. And Olympic-level competitors, they were demigods, epic souls to admire, but impossible to emulate. This anti-fitness decision came after careful consideration of extensive data, like the fact that bending over to tie up my shoes took my breath away, literally. And I do have a long history at being rubbish at anything remotely sporty. I still blush crimson when I remember playing football during high school. Despite being placed in the defensive position of left back, I enthusiastically dashed all over the field for the first five minutes of the game until our irate and unnaturally chiselled sports teacher blew his whistle and, punctuating his question with swear words, asked me what on earth I was playing at. I had no defence, literally, seeing as I was offside at the front of the field instead of being dutiful at the back of the field. I knew back then that I'd never be able to bend anything like Beckham. I hated rope climbing, mainly because I couldn't ever climb a rope. It's a shame because apparently rope climbing was an Olympic event until 1932 and it's threatening to make a comeback. Even though I was moved when I read about the gold medal winning performance of Olympian George Iser who won the rope climbing event in 1904 and did it with just one wooden leg, I knew that even with two legs of my own, I'd be hopeless. I'd come last in the cross-country run and complained that oxygen was not provided. I was pretty good at cricket when it came to keeping score, not playing. And so all of this led me to conclude, if sedentary living became an Olympic activity, I might stand a chance at victory. But until then, I had no hope. All of which makes me wonder, in what other areas of my life have I hoisted a white flag of surrender and chosen to submit myself to a sentence of sameness? Have I unwittingly decided that like the proverbial leopard, I can never change my spots? Again, we all make endless decisions, most of them subconsciously, about what we can and cannot do. And so we can write ourselves off from possibilities and potential. Where have we chosen? Where have we decided that everything might change, but we can't change? Have we succumbed to that innocuous habit pattern, which is more annoying than perilous, or the silent stalking of addiction, which doesn't send us an email to announce that we're trapped in its grasp? We don't choose to pray because we think we can't pray. We don't risk because we think it's not in our nature. We don't learn a new skill because we've decided it's too late, and often we're quite wrong. Some things that we think we can't do can be done. And so some years ago, I changed my mind about me. Today, I can still only look at gathering Olympians with admiration, but most days I work out. I lift weights, puff and pant on an elliptical, and hang upside down like a bat on an inverter, which is odd, but apparently has some benefits. I'm healthier now at 65 than I was at 35, and it's due in part to my starting to believe that I could live differently and then making good choices as a result. If anyone believes that we can change, we Christians should. We're the ones who believe that change doesn't just come from gritted teeth and sweat, but that the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is the transformer working within each of us. He is available to help. We still need to make good choices. I'm also pleased to report that I've managed to showcase my trampolining skills for royalty. Attending a youth club where a member of the royalty was visiting, we were told to follow two vital instructions. Bow when you meet him and then carry on doing whatever you're doing because he wants to see a youth club in full action. Bouncing away on the trampoline when the illustrious guest arrived, I was horrified when he headed directly over to me where my aerial display of flailing arms and legs akimbo was not a pretty sight but i learned something about royal etiquette that day it's really hard to bow and bounce at the same time but it can be done let's make good wise choices as we've been thinking about decisions and choices tonight i'd like to share some words from james the half brother of jesus listen to his strong warning you can find this in james chapter 4 verse 13 onwards James says, "'Now listen, you who say, "'today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, "'spend a year there, carry on business and make money. "'Why? "'You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. "'What is your life? "'You are a mist that appears for a little while "'and then vanishes. "'Instead, you ought to say, "'If it's the Lord's will, "'we will live and do this or that. "'As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. "'All such boasting is evil.' If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. James is warning all of us about the subtle temptation that can come to us all, and that is this having given our lives to Jesus, we can slowly, gradually, even unconsciously take them back again. We rush into big choices and decisions without pausing for prayer or good counsel. When I look back on my life, the worst decisions were the ones that I took in a hurry or where I ignored wise advice. If in doubt, ask my wife Kay. She's seen how it goes when I get independent. Perhaps you find yourself at a crossroads, a place where a choice has to be made, and you'd like someone to pray with you as you make that choice. The Premier Lifeline is open from 9am to midnight every day, 0300-111-0101. 300 01 01. A final word before I sign off from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. May that be true in your life and mine too. See you next week. Lucas on Life.